Praying for 40 days straight at the Western Wall in Jerusalem is a famous Jewish practice. Many have made the pilgrimage to pray for marriage, income, children, or healing. Now you too can have a 40-day prayer. Western Wall Prayers will employ a full-time Torah student to pray on your behalf or on behalf of a loved one for 40 days straight at the Wall. If you need a special prayer, visit westernwallprayers.org. That's westernwallprayers.org. Welcome, all of you who love God, Torah, and Israel. This is Noahide Nations on the air on Israel National Radio. I'm Jim Long. This is Ray Patterson. Ray, welcome back, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am glad to be back. I I feel like it's worth living once again. (laughs) And I want to thank all the listeners for their wonderful prayers and and emails and kind words. So uh, thank you. It's it's great to be back. And, And Jim, I hope I can hold my end up today. Well, I, I hope I, I don't have any problem that you will, because in, in some respects, I felt like uh, even flying solo last week, I didn't quite hold up my end. For instance, I forgot to give out some very important piece of information as, as far as our interacting with with all of our wonderful listeners. I never gave out the email address so that people can contact us and, and comment about the show uh, and send questions. Of course, it, it might have been uh, a sort of subconscious, maybe Knowing I was all by myself, I didn't want anybody to comment on on the show. But anyway, Ray, how do the how do our listeners contact us with questions about Noahide Nations, about your organization, or about the show? Well, and with all new things, we oftentimes will encounter technical difficulties or communication problems. And I know that in our early shows, uh, I was giving out the emails of uh, Jim and Ray, and as uh, it turned out, those weren't the proper emails at all. And yet, many emails were able to make it through us just through the website. Sure. But the actual email, my friends, is noahide, N-O-A-H-I-D-E, at israelnationalradio.com. And feel free, and we encourage you to send in your questions and uh, comments. Sure. And maybe we can suggest that... uh you know, as long as they have questions and they're they're not directed at any one of us specifically, they can they can just say you know, uh, gentlemen or whatever. But if they want to address something uh, specifically that you or I said, maybe they could include that on the subject line or something, or even say this is a question for Jim. Otherwise, I think we're going to get we'll both get the mail, and uh, we will we will answer them accordingly. Um, we, we've been getting a lot of wonderful emails and comments uh, uh, because of the show. And I know through some of the other sources, uh, uh, I, I know personally I've been contacted by uh, a lady in Ireland. I've also got a note from a lady in Italy. Um, so uh, the show is, is thanks, you know, Baruch Hashem to the, to the reach, if you will, via the Internet that, that uh, Israel National Radio has that we can even hear from folks like this who uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming they're, they're Noahides. Well, it would be safe to assume that, though we don't want to do that 100%. But based on some of the emails that I've been reading as well, it would certainly appear that the majority of them are. And it is great to know that uh, there are Noahides literally all over the world. And in terms of geographics, it's, it's difficult to really have community, but 
with Israel National Radio and the and the fine job that they do, it allows Jim and I to be one step closer to everybody and hopefully be able to cre- create a community right here on the air. Yeah, and you know, and, and just in case, and we always have to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Uh, there are uh, people who have tuned in because they they said uh, to themselves, "Goodness, what's a couple of non-Jews doing on Israel National Radio?" Uh, you know, what's so special about us? Well, first of all, nothing. Secondly, but the reason that we've been asked to do this show, and we'll, we'll probably re- repeat this from time to time because it needs to be said to the to the first time and, and the new listener, is that um, we are Gentiles. We are non-Jews who believe in Torah, and we believe in the God of Israel, and we believe that the Jewish people uh, are exactly what the, to- the Torah what you may call the first five books of Moses, we believe that the Jewish people uh, are, as the Torah tells us, to be a light to the nations and also to be uh, a priesthood to to the planet. And and we recognize that, and we learn from those who are teaching us in the Jewish community that we have seven laws, not the 613 that are incumbent upon uh, a Jew, but we have seven laws, and what what are those laws, Ray? Right. Well, the seven laws are not to commit idolatry, not to commit adultery, not to commit blasphemy towards uh, Hashem, uh, not to commit murder, not to commit theft, not to uh, eat the limb of a living animal, and also to set up courts of justice for the purpose of. Uh, seeking justice and rendering decisions based upon justice. And, of course, that would then be based upon the Torah. And as Jim mentioned, uh, our seven are not the 613. And not to confuse people, actually, the seven Noahide laws for all mankind are actually evolve into uh, 66. The, the seven categories are basically that, categories and act as an umbrella. And then under that umbrella, there are 66, some say 66, some say 70. Regardless, those wind up being thousands. So we all have uh, instructions from God to live happy lives, to live harmoniously with our fellow man, as well as to have relationship with Hashem. Well, the thing that that we get a lot of email about and the thing that we often see at uh, some of the conferences that uh, have been organized in the past, uh, of course, uh, the the, the recent one that we know of was the one that you organized uh, that was held in in Fort Lauderdale this past summer. Uh, Bezrat Hashem, we hope to see more of those uh, coming. In fact, you know, you don't have to wait for for Ray to put together, you know, some kind of a, a meeting. We're, we're hoping folks are having meetings all over the planet right now and, and studying Torah, and and hopefully they're seeking the help of of, uh, of of an Orthodox rabbi to if if they don't know their way through Torah, uh, just as the way that Ray and I have have uh, discovered uh, the depths and and the riches of Torah. But the question, Ray, that you get all the time on your website. Uh, Noahide Nations, and the question that comes up at the conference all the time is, we've come out of our old belief systems, um, and we don't we don't have those friends sometimes, and our family wants to do, you know, our, our first guest on the first show, Darla talked about this, is sometimes we feel cut off, and, and so the idea of a Noahide community, and you and I have had some talks about this, we, we, we both see things a little differently, but I... I certainly don't think that, that your viewpoint is is any less valid than mine. 
And um, wh- what do you what do you think about that particular subject? Uh, how do you see Noahide communities actually uh, existing in a, in a reality? Well, and and you're right, Jim. That is probably the single most asked question. Uh, and it, it basically boils down to a matter of, I'm a new Noahide, are there any Noahides in my area? And I am forever having to give a response of no, and quite frankly, I'm just very tired of doing that. We know that there's thousands of Noahides out there, acknowledged Noahides, and they're looking for a means to be able to gather with like-minded people, uh, to study Torah, to come closer to Hashem, to fellowship with others, to raise their children in a Torah environment. And there's just not enough of it going on today to have the impact that we know that it will have later on. And the, the real problem, as I see it, is that most folks who are coming out of Christianity or the Messianic movement or coming out of their religious belief system generally will go to a rabbi because they just have this feeling that there's something about Judaism that is entirely correct. They don't know what it is. They don't know why it is. They just know that it is. Unfortunately uh, for us, fortunately for the uh, B'nai Israel, the Jewish community, the rabbis traditionally will turn people away at least three times before even talking to you about the possibility of conversion. Well, now, because there are some communities that exist, rabbis now have an option to point Gentiles in a direction where they can go and be with like-minded people and be studying Torah and fellowshipping and bringing their kids to Torah-related types of events. And this has been an ongoing problem and a theme of Noahide Nations to start getting these communities uh, more active and growing and maintaining them. Uh, And and like you say, around the world. It's not uh, in Texas. It's not in the United States. This is around the world that these cries for community are, are coming forth. And Ray, I don't, maybe this is stating the obvious, but I think I have to hear uh, again to those first time listeners who are tuning in. You know, we're talking about people who get drawn to Torah and they, and they can't, they can't return. But these are people who, who go, you know, is there something for me other than conversion? Because, I mean, I, I think people need to know who don't know about this movement and who don't know about the Noahide concept that this is really for, this is, uh, you know, for the people who say, I don't know if I want to make that leap. I mean, that, you know, it's, it's not called the yoke of Torah for nothing. And you and I have both gone through this. And I think every Noahide that I personally know, uh, they, they go through that, that idea of, they wrestle with it. Should I convert? Should I not? And, um. The, the, of course, the, the rabbis will be the f- first to tell us, no, you don't have to. But that doesn't stop someone if someone just feels totally compelled. You know, amen, please convert. There's no problem. But there is this alternative, and that is the the uh, the, the Noahide belief system. You can still believe in the same Torah, and you can still study the, the depths and the riches. And and uh, I believe there's, isn't there a, um, a Talmudic saying? And not to, not to give people an overblown sense of who we are, but and I, I ask this in all humility, isn't there even a Talmudic saying that someone who 
recognizes the Creator and recognizes a non-Jew who recognizes the need to keep the seven laws and done so has done so. They're on the level of the high priest almost? Yes. In fact, I believe it's uh, uh, in Sanhedrin, uh, Sanhedrin 56A or B, I believe, that talks about the, the study of Torah, that if a, a Gentile, a, a righteous Gentile, studies Torah, they are on the level of a high priest. Uh, also, uh, to, to just to clarify things, oftentimes people get this idea that if I don't convert, uh, I'm less in the eyes of God. Well, it simply is not the case, my friends. You need to understand, and the Rambam tells us this, that if we follow the seven Noahide laws and follow them precisely, we do receive a reward in the world to come. Amen. And it's absolutely true. We are no less. We are no more. We are Hashem's creation. We simply have different roles. You know, I, I call it uh, in, in deference to our Catholic friends who might be listening out there. I'm a I'm a former Catholic, and uh, you know, the, I, I I call it the 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 altar boy syndrome. And that is is that uh, when I was a kid in Catholic school, uh, I once thought about becoming an altar boy. And I, I, I didn't because um, I didn't want to take on the responsibility and of, of being, um, uh, well, I just say it the way I felt as a kid, as a nine-year-old kid. I didn't want to take on the responsibility of being really good because I thought if I was up there and I had a, a terrible thought that lightning would strike me. <laughs> but I don't think that way anymore, folks, because I, I understand how Hashem's universe really works because of study of Torah. Uh, in fact, if God really worked that way, we wouldn't have free will, you know. So the point being is, is that uh, the, the main thing is, is that there are there are people who who simply get drawn to Judaism and they and, and they say, you know what, I want to serve Hashem in that capacity. And and it's only because they felt led to become part of of this this priesthood that they decide, you know, I want to do this. But uh Hashem is not going to judge us any 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 uh, less if, if we decide. No, I just want to be a Noahide. And the other important thing, of course, is you can't follow the uh, the seven laws simply because you think it's a good idea because because it uh, it sounds like a reasonable thing to do. You you have to do it because you believe that there is a God and that is you believe that's what He wants you to do. Right, and in fact, uh, the Rambam uh, literally states that very thing. Uh, that you cannot keep these laws. You are not uh, entitled to anything in the world to come merely by keeping these because they uh, make intellectual sense, that they, they sound reasonable. We have to do this because Hashem, uh, may He be blessed and praised, was the one who told us to live our lives this way. But Ray, let's talk about, you know, again, when someone says to you the word Noahide community, you know, I think of one thing. What do you see? What do you literally? What to you is a Noahide community? Is it a neighborhood? Is it a is it a town? Is it is it a is it a, a compound? <laughs> well, <laughs> how about yes and no to all the above? There you go. Um, and and not to be confused with uh, uh, anything else, but uh, uh, what I look at a, a community. When I say the word community, it can also mean a Noahide group. Uh, it can mean a Noahide congregation. 
I know that there are groups out there that basically consist of two or three people. There are congregations out there that consist of 50 or more people that are Noahides that are studying Torah on a regular basis, meeting and worshiping Hashem on a regular basis, uh, honoring the, the Shabbat the way a Noahide should. And so when I, when I speak of the word community, it's kind of a, a, a general umbrella statement for uh, a group, a gathering, uh, something where people are doing something consistently. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have enough of that going on because, like you mentioned earlier, we've got people in just all over the world that uh, are, are Noahides wanting to know if there are more Noahides in their area. And uh, we just haven't been out there long enough, and hopefully this show will really uh, bring forth this whole idea of being Noahides, of being righteous Gentiles, and people will start turning more and more to Torah, and you'll start finding them, uh, people you pass walking on the street. Would you, would you say, because I, I have very strong feelings about this, and I, I may talk about why, but wouldn't you say that, for instance, if, if a group of Noahides uh, decided, you know, we... Uh, we don't want to live uh, among the people in our neighborhood or in our town because uh, we we don't think that they're we think they're being they're influencing our family in a negative way too badly and they decide to go out and buy a plot of land and let's say ten families move out there and it's just a, a community for Noahides. Do you think this this could happen? But do you think that's the right thing to do? I don't know that it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. And the reason I say that, and I, and I use the example of the uh, Quakers, for, mm -hmm. for example. Uh, these are people who have literally gone off on their own, have started their communities. They exist within their communities very nicely. I mean, everyone gets along famously. They have businesses. And in, in that regard, I would say there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, when you do get into a situation like that, uh, the media and a great many people, of course, uh, would consider it cult-like, yeah. that, that it would be in, indeed a cult, when in reality it's, it's not a, a cult at all. It's just people who wanted to raise their children in a proper environment. They homeschool their kids. They conduct business within their communities, and they just live harmoniously together and i don't find anything wrong with that well you know the thing is is that if if uh, for instance we had never heard of the amish or the quaker the people before and if if literally they were if the quakers were to actually just just as for example you know in a, in a theoretical sense for the sake of argument if you will if if people had gotten together and started the quaker movement uh today they would immediately be labeled a cult and so I guess that's that's my own, and, and I'll just say it right here, friends. You might as well know I actually survived a cult experience. Um, you know, I, maybe I'll put out a movie one of these days. I was a teenage cult member or something. Actually, I wasn't a teenager. I dragged my whole wife and kids into the whole experience for four years. And so this is why I get personally, I'm I'm touchy about that idea because I never felt like living on a literally a compound with Everybody that was like-minded, uh, I never felt like that we ever did that much good, even though we, we tried. And, and I, by the way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even recommend the cult experience for anybody. Yet, when you, even when you go to present-day Eretz Israel, you have communities 
that are observant-only communities. I've, we have been blessed to have actually stayed on some of these uh, settlements. Uh, they are, and, and you because we because we observe the seven laws of Noah. But there are communities in Israel. There are set, there are, there are towns and settlements that that is a prerequisite. You have to be an observant Jew to live there. Now it works in Israel, and and of course in Israel we have the same thing happening. The the liberals in Israel and friends, if you've never met a, 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 a lefty in Israel, you, you you've got to experience it sometime because a liberal in Israel makes our American liberals look like right wingers. But anyway, that's beside the point. The point being is that the the liberal element in Israel uh, tends to look on the observant Jewish community in a very negative light. Sadly. They, they tend to think of them the way people over here, the liberals over here, look upon us who believe in, in Torah. Uh, at least, you know, hey, friends, look, we, uh, Noahide believes the Torah the same way an observant Jew believes it. And they tend to look at us as being very backward. And, and oh, you believe that? So I guess in a way, uh, for me, Noahides should sort of stay, you know, out in the world so they at least impact the world. And people look at them and go, you know what? There's something interesting about that family over there. They're um, they're really good people, and those people always seem to treat you right, etc. And we think they're Jewish because we've seen them, you know, celebrate Hanukkah, but we're not sure about what they are. But the point being is. The, the the same idea that the way that the Jews are to impact the world by their life lived uh, as a Torah life, I think we uh, Noahides have a little bit of a responsibility. So I guess it, to me it's kind of an open question, and maybe it won't even be a, a question unless it's, it's really put to the test. And by the way, uh, if you just tuned in, we're talking about Noahide communities, and we're doing it here on Israel National Radio. The show is called Noahide Nations. And uh, I'm Jim Long. This and is Ray course, Patterson. Ray Patterson. And the reason I wanted to repeat all that, Ray, is because we're getting ready to, to come up on a break. And I want people to stay with us on the other side of the break. And I want them to uh, continue because I think we're really in an interesting discussion. But um, uh, do you want to – we've got about 30 seconds. Do you, do you want to say anything? Well, I just we... wanted to uh, kind of reiterate something that you had kind of mentioned uh, with it being a, a, a cult – type system uh, particularly when you get into the worship of an individual within the cult that is absolutely wrong and is the the number one of the seven is not to commit idolatry and the other thing is that by confining yourself to just a certain area you do limit your ability to be able to reach out to others and if we are reaching out to others, we are emulating Abraham, and Abraham was the greatest evangelizer that you could ever talk about in yeah, the Bible. Very good. Let's talk about Abraham and and what he did as you know as a Noahide uh, type of person in his day, and that'll be coming up on the other side of the news. You're listening to Ray Patterson. I'm Jim Long. This is Noahide Nations on IsraelNationalRadio.com. With Pesach approaching... 
Tour Plus is offering the English-speaking public a fantastic experience in Israel's leading hotels. Tour Plus has a stellar reputation for being the most professional and experienced hotel operator catering to the Orthodox community. We pay special attention to kashu standards, providing glat bahadrin kosher food, and shmura matzah in each hotel. Visit us online at www.tourplus.co.il and click on English at the top. That's tourplus.co.il. Tour Plus, for the complete vacation. Hanukkah is coming. Light up your Hanukkah with a free ticket to Israel. Eight nights, eight flights. Ura is giving away eight free tickets to Israel. Every day for the eight days of Hanukkah at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, we are raffling off one round-trip ticket to Israel. Eight free tickets in total. Just go to ura.org for your free chance to win. There's absolutely no purchase necessary. Plus, you get a bonus. For each friend that you refer to this raffle, you get an extra entry. So hurry before it's too late. Enter the 8 Nights, 8 Flights raffle now at ura.org. That's O-O-R-A-H dot org. Again, ura, O-O-R-A-H dot O-R-G. everybody this is ray patterson and my co-host jim long jim good to see you again for the second segment uh i think we're we're kind of on a very very interesting topic getting ready to talk about uh avraham one of the the greatest at outreach that we can read about in the torah avraham of course was a noahide and he comes from a long line of Noahides. Uh, uh, but Abraham, there was something special about he and his wife. Uh, they were able to reach out and just willfully went out and taught people about Hashem. And their tent was always open. They're renowned for their hospitality. And they fed people. They washed people's feet. They, they took care of their fellow man while teaching them about the one true creator of all things. Well, you know, I, some people might argue with you on, on uh, he, you know, he was obviously a Noahide. He's also, by some of the sages, I believe, he's also called the first convert. But, but you know, that's, the point is, this is, of course, before the giving of the Torah. Some would say, well, Noah was the, the first Noahide along with his son Shem. So... Uh, are, are we, I, you think I, we're I, splitting hairs? Well, we probably are, and what we're doing is adding two definitions. Yeah. Um, uh, Adam was the first one to receive the first six. First six. I had uh, mentioned, and then the uh, the seventh one that was added, uh, don't eat the limb of a living animal, was given to Noah, uh, by Hashem uh, after the flood had receded. So you kind of add that to a definition of what is a Noahide. And then indeed, you could honestly say that Abraham was the first convert by virtue of being commanded to do the circumcision. Which we, we are not commanded to do. Right, exactly. Yeah. Although it's a good idea. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, beyond Prefer- just the health reasons. Yeah. And preferably when you're younger. So, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, you know, it's interesting, Ray, you know, you talked about the, uh, the, the seventh law that most of the Chazal, the sages, tell us was added after the flood. Uh, tell, tell everybody, those who don't know, who might be uh, first-time listeners, why that particular commandment was added after the flood. Well, it was added after the flood because prior to that, man was not allowed to eat meat. And as a, a, a result of what Noah and his family did, and not just preserving 
the whole of mankind so it could continue on. It also preserved all the animal life yeah. that was there at the time. And as a result of that, Hashem allowed man uh, and, and told him, quite frankly, that you are now allowed to eat meat, but do not eat the limb of a living animal. And the teachings on, on the, that particular law are, are many and uh, very deep. But that was the, that's the basic uh, premise of, there, of that law. Right. There's a very interesting commentary, uh, speaking of, of the idea of uh, why uh, mankind was allowed to, to eat, to consume flesh after the, after the flood. And um, I believe I was reading this in a, a wonderful book by, uh, I believe his name was Rabbi David Brown. I think it's called Mystery of Creation. I hope I remember it right. But he tells this fascinating detail about the flood, which in, in Hebrew, it's called, the, the flood is called Mabul. And that shares the root with another Hebrew word, which means to wither away. And uh, a lot of people believe that the flood, that the punishment that mankind experienced in the flood, those that perished, that they were drowned. In actuality, they were they were scalded to death, we're told. And this was the idea of measure for measure because their sins were of, of a very passionate nature. They were, they were sins connected to heat and, and passion. Um, and that the in measure for measure, uh, mankind was punished in that way. And it was also sort of a, almost like a, a hot mikvah, a cleansing of the earth. But the idea being that these waters that from the fountains of the deep that broke open, literally the waters uh, and the flood that, that followed uh, took all of these, these incredibly rich nutrients that were in the soil and, and leached them all out and washed them all away so that mankind uh, could later could not even get all of the minerals and nutrients from a plant anymore. So we had to get it from. I, I hope our listeners find that interesting. I, I always thought it was. Well, and and also what's interesting about that is you talked about the 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 heat of passion. Uh, the reason that mankind was was flooded, and, and and the whole reason for it was because of theft. But it wasn't just theft; it was violent theft. It was very passionate and and not in a good way. And this went on for generations. And uh, uh, Hashem absolutely had enough. Now, uh, we don't want to confuse people, but the Hebrew word Elohim means judge. And you would think that it was Elohim who actually rendered the decision for the destruction of mankind. When in reality, it was Hashem, the attribute of mercy was the one that actually made the decision, rendered the ruling to destroy mankind. Well, and, and just to make this perfectly clear, uh, Ray is not talking about two different gods. Absolutely not. He's talking about the one true God, uh, the, the God of Israel, but he's talking about an attribute of Hashem. The same way that because we are made in the image of the Creator, there are different. We we deal with with people in a very different way. We we have we have a side that is much like Hashem's judgmental, mathematical side. We also have a side that's creative and emotional, and if you will, feminine, and and uh, so that that. It's it's not that there is a different God that judged. It's the idea that God uh, uh, responded in that way. It responded because of his of Hashem's merciful aspect. Right, and 
The other interesting thing about that is that without Hashem having these attributes, we would not have these attributes. And Jim had mentioned early on in the show about free will. Without these attributes, we no longer have free will. And we just basically become robots. Which, of course, the Creator could have made. But He wanted people to love and worship and honor Him because of their free will. And without the attributes, you no longer have free will. Well, right. Really, that's a great point. And without those attributes, we're on the level of animals. Right. Absolutely. And and the other thing, one thing I wanted to touch on while we have time, uh, you know, often, Ray, when we when we mention the seven laws to to someone who is new to the concept and and you uh, invariably when we get to the law against uh, eating the limb of a living animal, I, I guarantee you. Every time the response is always they this look of incredulity that uh, they have this incredulous look on their face and they go uh, if they were a teenager they go ew but it's like well how can that even apply today well friends I'm here to tell you as as uh, well we're doing this we're doing this show today in Texas and there is a there is a delicacy as they used to call it well maybe they still do I don't that that uh, we 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 call. Uh, here in Texas, we call them mountain oysters. And I'm just going to be very graphic with you because the, the God that I believe in in his Torah is a very realistic God. And, uh, you know, this is literally the testicles of an animal that are removed and they're, they're prepared. Uh, they're breaded and fried. And, and uh, I once had them as a kid, and I was told afterwards what they were. Friends, if you eat something like that, you are breaking that law against eating the limb of a living animal. Right, and that is a glowing example of what not to do. And there are others. Uh, I know that, uh, I believe it's the Chinese who have uh, a delicacy in uh, shark fins. And what they will do is they will net the sharks, bring them on board, cut the fins off, and then throw them back overboard. Now, presumably, they're believing that the the nature is just going to consume these uh, in, in a scavenger sense of the word. But there's no way of knowing that. And yet, millions of people eat these on a regular basis, and these sharks could literally still be flopping around. And it, it, it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible scene, number one, but even more so because it is in defiance of that which God has instructed us not to do. Well, the uh, the Maasai uh, warriors in Africa, they will keep a, a cow tethered uh, to a post, and and uh, they will they will uh, use a, a, a small spear, and they will poke the neck of the animal, and they will drain uh, blood from the neck, just enough to keep that the animal will not be uh, permanently harmed, and they will drink this. They'll mix it and drink this. This is a, this is not literally a limb. But it, it is a form of eating the limb of a living animal because because you are it, it's 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 almost to the animal it's torture, and and the the idea of cruelty to animals actually comes under the heading of of that and we know that one of the reasons we're told in the in the commentaries the oral tradition uh, one of the reasons that um, that Avraham that Ray mentioned earlier was was the he was the uh, he was the heart of hospitality. He was the prime example for all of us of hospitality. And Ray, have you heard the the commentary uh, about uh, what Noah told? By the way, Noah and and Avraham were contemporaries. If you don't 
you know, do do the genealogy sometimes, and you'll see that. Do you remember the story of what Noah related to Avraham that made Avraham see that he had to be a kind person? Have you ever heard that? No, I, I don't. I'm not okay. familiar with I did, that. I didn't know if you knew it, but I wanted to share it with the audience. Uh, according to the oral tradition, um, when when Avraham had, was, was speaking to Shem at one time, and we know that Shem was Melchizedek, the, the high priest of Shalom, of, of, of uh, what is now Yerushalayim. Uh, he related, uh, Shem related to uh, uh, Avraham, and, and also Noah would have told him that, um, that the whole year that they were on the ark, that um, Noah had to feed all the animals, and he would feed them first before the family was fed. In fact, there is there is even a there is even in the oral tradition there is the teaching uh, for for the people of of Israel that if they have pets in the household they should actually feed their pets first because it's cruel to an animal for him to see you, you consuming food. So anyway, the idea is that is that Avraham was told how Noah uh, patiently fed all the animals first, and Avraham said within himself, if Noah is that kind to a dumb animal. How much more kindly should I be towards my fellow man? And I'll tell you, when we realize the awesomeness of Hashem, Amen. come to find out that we know nothing. In every act that uh, the Creator does, it is a benefit to us, even though sometimes it doesn't feel that way. But the real beauty is that He is continually teaching and I've, I've always found that amazing. Sometimes the teachings aren't, they're not fun. I'll just be honest with you. They are not fun. But after it is passed, and it always will pass, you, you ponder back and realize that Hashem was being merciful towards you. And like, like Jim said, how much more so should we be merciful to our fellow man? If Noah, our great ancestor, the, 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 the man who he and his family saved mankind from extinction, what did he do? He took care of the animals first. Amen. Well, the, the thing that we were talking about before we, we got off track, and I, and I hope our listeners find it an interesting track, we were talking about this idea of community. And I, had, I was relating how I was uncomfortable with the idea of my fellow Noahides going off and finding a, a parcel of land and, and living under themselves. I mean, you know, the, whatever you feel led to do, fine. But I, I, would, I would tell my fellow Noahides, you know, no, stay in the world that, that you're living in now. But just be, be an example to your neighbors of, of what a Noahide is. And and uh, but I, I'm I'm in, in complete agreement with Ray that that, uh, you know, that Noahides living uh, in, in one particular region that discover there are other Noahides should find a way to to get together with them for study, for celebration. We have we have Hanukkah coming up and, uh, you know. Ray, I'm sure you do. Our family, we, we celebrate Hanukkah. We do it in solidarity with the Jewish people in, in their victory over uh, their oppressors in that day and age. And we'll be talking a little bit about that as we, as we get closer to Hanukkah, which is not too far off, by the way. Right, right. But, um, uh, Ray, I, I want to bring up the fact, since we are talking about community, um, that you established Noahide Nations, your organization, exactly to facilitate that, right? Exactly. To helping. 
it, it's more than just a website. Uh, the website is, is merely a tool that we use, and the Internet, even more so, is a tool that we use to keep people in touch with each other. Uh, for example, in our Torah Learning Center, we actually have a Noahide group who is conducting a, a Shabbat celebration every Saturday in honor of creation. And not only do they have a local congregation where there's approximately 30 to 40 people who gather weekly, there's also an online community uh, of people who come on and join in that with them. And this is how a, a lot of people are defining community as we speak today. Because I'm the only one in town, uh, it's, it's, it makes sense that I find somewhere, even if it's online, to be able to learn Torah, communicate with others, and be a part of something bigger than I am. It's human nature. It's the way Hashem created us. We all want to be involved in something bigger than us. Um, uh, well, you know, the, the thing that uh, comes to my mind when you talk about that, I don't feel the pressure as much because I'm already, uh, you know, okay, I'm going to say it. I'm going to be 60 years old this month. Ouch. But anyway, so I've got grandkids already and they don't they don't live uh, that, that close by. But there are listeners out there who are Noahides who have kids and they are the ones, rightly so, that are the most concerned about uh, the idea of community, because I mean, we know we know of one uh, very impressive uh, family. Uh, in fact, two young ladies and their families who have gone out of the way. They are literally homeschooling their kids because they want them to learn uh, not only Torah, but they also want them to learn the the three R's, if you will, in a, in an environment that is that they're not negatively impacted by all of the the things that we've heard going on in our school system today. Right. And in, in fact, uh, a couple of these ladies uh, have been heavily involved in the, uh, an organization called NOAA, which is the Noahide Online Association of Homeschoolers. And it's basically for anyone who wants to be involved, but the whole idea is to give parents and kids a safe zone, if you will, that allows their children to explore what Torah is, what it means to them, and to begin at an early, early age. Because if you instill that in kids now, even when they become teenagers and they become restless, they are still carrying this with them. So that's a, a, a very important program that Noahide Nations uh, supports, and it's one of our uh, organizations that uh, they have just done a, a phenomenal job with. I'm sure, Jim, you remember them speaking about it oh. at the conference. And many, many people are in tune with this just because of what it offers children and their parents in the way of Torah. Well, that was the, the conference that Ray uh, mentioned. Uh, if you just tuned in, this was a, a big Noahide conference we had this summer. Uh, it was the first that I know of world conference for for B'nai Noach. We had several wonderful speakers. Many great rabbis were there. Uh, but we also had Noahide speaking. And um, the uh, the young ladies, I think they blew everybody away because, uh, you know, I thought to myself, you know, I could put my hands, I could put my, my kids in their hands if I had youngsters. And I would, they were so incredibly organized. I mean, they, they had thought everything out. And uh, now, do they still have a separate website? Yes. Uh, 
what is that? Uh, you know, I don't know the the website itself off the top of my head, but if you do a word search of Noahide Online Association of Homeschoolers, uh, certainly you'll find it uh, uh, somewhere on the first page, probably number one or two. Yeah. And I would definitely encourage everyone to uh, visit it because uh, we're here to support you, and obviously we need your support in order for the whole thing to work. Yeah. Well, and the the idea is is uh, the the theme of today's show is is community. Right. And this is this will facilitate a community. If you have three or four families you know of, and and they possibly want to go the homeschooling route, you can contact uh, Noahide Nations, the website that that Ray set up uh, in tandem with his organization, which is called you might call it the bricks and mortar organization called uh, Noahide Nations, um, and and that's going to be a great resource. Um, so I, I think that that realistically, uh, how would you how would you help people, Ray, that are in an area and they don't know of any other Noahides? What would you suggest to them uh, how, how they could they could feel that sense of community? Uh, in terms of uh, of feeling a sense of community, I would uh, immediately. Uh, get set up with Noahide Nations and become a member and start participating in the online Torah classes as well and possibly more importantly the online Shabbat. That would be number one. Uh, Number two, on the Noahide Nations website, you do not have to be a member to use this, just registered. There is a directories section. One is called communities and you can log in there, uh, set up an ad and let people know that you're looking for other Noahides or that you have a group, so new Noahides are welcome. And I know already that there's been many people who have found each other in their same communities by way of this directory. Another uh, recent addition to the uh, Noahide Nations family is the uh, Noahide Nations Yahoo discussion group. And there are many people on there, and particularly the, the new ones, will get on there. And one of the first questions they invariably ask is, I'm in such and such area. Is there anyone on this group that's in my area? Right. Uh, this is another great way to meet more like-minded people. And even if you do not know these people because they live in your community, someday when you go to a world conference, you're going to be able to meet these people. And you're going to be able to reminisce of some of the discussions you've had and uh, uh, talk about uh, things that you do in your community versus things they do in their community. And that's what the conferences are all about, to bring people together so you can, uh, for possibly the first time, be able to meet other Noahides that you've conversed with online. Ray, I want to stress also to uh, our listeners that uh, we by no means uh, are going to be ignoring uh, the other uh, wonderful websites that we have discovered that are online resources for people who want to get into the Noahide movement or learn more about Noahides. In fact, in the coming weeks, we'll actually be talking to some of the people who've created these these uh, wonderful online resources. Right, we're running out of time, and uh, I would like you to uh, remind everybody out there again how they can uh, get a hold of us and ask us questions uh, about what they've heard on the show or other aspects of being a Noahide or even Torah as it, as it connects with Noahide. Well, certainly at the uh, email address of Noahide, N-O-A-H-I-D-E, at IsraelNationalRadio.com. 
Okay, that's one way to do it. And, of course, tune in next week. We, we hope to see you here. Uh, Ray, I want to bid everybody goodbye, and thanks for listening in. And uh, I'll let you have the final wonderful closeout that you always give us. Well, friends, look to the heavens. Look to Hashem because he is always looking out for you. This is Ray Patterson, and for Jim Long, this is Noah Hyde Nations. Visit us here on IsraelNationalRadio.com. Aleph Shin, the number one best-selling Jewish techno-thriller novel, was unique for the Jewish market in excitement, imagination, and inspiration. Now, Ten Lost, the prequel to Aleph Shin, is author Sender Zev's latest literary masterpiece. It reveals the mind-boggling background of the awesome tale of Aleph Shin. Now just released, both books in one hardcover volume, two for the price of one, a great Hanukkah gift. Available at Jewish bookstores throughout the United States, England, and Israel. See the ad on Israel National Radio or check out the website at www.tmspublishing.com. That's www.tmspublishing.com. Cut down on time at the airport. Introducing the ultimate airport experience by Menashe Sofer's Airport Service. It's the first of its kind. The VIP Meet and Assist Shuttle guarantees a completely stress-free traveling experience to and from Ben-Gurion International Airport. Online at msofareairport.com. Tell them you heard about it on Israel National Radio. Menashe Sofer Airport Travel. Speed and service. M-S-O-P-H-E-R airport.com.